Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. Coming up today, we'll have the very latest on United's deadline day dealings with the slight disclaimer that it could be completely out of date by the time it reaches your ears. But we'll bring you the very latest that we know as we know it as the club scrambles around for up to four, we understand, last minute signings. We'll react to Manchester United's draws in the Champions League and the League Cup. And there's also Sunday's showdown at Arsenal to look forward to as well. Um, Andy Mitten and Carl Anker have taken time out on deadline day to come and record this podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. Welcome. Andy, you've been a busy man, aren't you? Yeah, well, it's all happening, mate. As uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's news coming in as, as we're speaking because it's transfer deadline day. And in the last couple of days, we've had the Champions League draw and obviously another home draw in the League Cup as well, which we're all expecting. An 11th one on the bounce, <laughs> odds of 2,047 or 48, depending on which mathematician you believe, uh, to one. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, the, the only sort of figure I'm concerned with is the standing order that keeps getting rinsed in my bank account for all these <laughs> tickets automatically, but never mind. Uh, Carl, deadline day wasn't supposed to be like this, was it? We'll get into it properly in a moment, but should we really be sat here saying that there's up to four players joining now? It's crazy. It's remarkable. I, I remember when the waking up, seeing David Ornstein tweeting about the Moises Caicedo possibly going to Liverpool, um, thinking, oh, it's quite nice watching chaos in, in the, the transfer market when my club's all done and sorted and I was feeling really calm, really relieved. This is August 10th, you know? Yeah. And then lo and behold, here we are, deadline day, scrambling behind the back of the sofa, looking for the deuce change, begging and pleading Florentina to give us Amrabat. <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> Yes, we'll get into all of that, certainly. But if you want to do a deadline day deal of your own, our tickets are still on sale for Manchester on September the 4th. This coming Monday, our live show, Talk of the Devils Live. It's the only show where there is still tickets available because Belfast has now gone the way of Dublin and London. They are all sold out. Now, it's myticket.co.uk, by the way, if you want to go and get the ticket for Manchester. But we need to sort of explain why Manchester's still on sale and everywhere is sold out because there'll be anyone listening to this of a non-Manchester United persuasion saying that, oh, look, you know, they've not got any fans in Manchester. Well, the Manchester venue is bigger than all the others uh, and that is why they're, they're still on sale. Uh, I hope that covers it. Uh, we'll move on swiftly. It's deadline day. Right, Johnny Evans is signing. Uh, Sergio Regulon has signed, but I don't think that's been officially announced at this point. We're recording this at 20 to 10 on Friday morning. Um, Altai Bayandir is signed. That's confirmed and done. And we could be getting Sofian Amrabat as well. Andy, what's the latest as you understand it on all of this? I mean, what is going on? Right, I'm just, I've just had messages as as we speak, and there's one coming in now. Excellent. Uh, Reggion's done. 
Johnny's about to sign. Amravat is proving difficult and the difficulty is coming from Fiorentina's side of things. So that is the only detail that I have at the moment. Maybe they're taking revenge for Anderson going on loan there years ago <laughs> when they expected like a world-beating Brazilian. But Anderson just thought, I'm going to follow Socrates when he went to Fiorentina and I'm going to enjoy the uh, <laughs> the nightlife of Italy a little bit. Yeah, the, the offerings that that great city has, of course, at Florence. On Amrabat then, obviously there was the piece on The Athletic, Carl, from James Horncastle. David Ornstein's been reporting on this as well, about the makeup of this deal and a report that Manchester United were offering a €2 million Euro loan fee which was to be paid in two instalments, but it had a break clause in January, which means that maybe only one of the instalments would be paid, and that was just €1 million. Euros. What's your reaction to, to that? Because it, it had a huge reaction on, on Twitter. Everyone from Liverpool fans to Arsenal fans to Manchester United fans had a view on it. That is a derisory bid. €2 million Euros spread across two instalments is... You're broke. You're really, really broke. You are skin if you're doing that. And that is... That, that's showing that Manchester United, for one, take FFP very, very seriously. Well, they have to, don't they? They've already been fined. They have. They have. Like another club in the top six. And, and it, it shows how difficult it is to make moves in the market and, and how Manchester United are in a one-in-one-out status at the moment, or it looks to be. Amrabat is in this difficult position now because the longer this negotiation period goes on, the more impressive he's going to get in the imagination of Manchester United fans, right? In the same way that players get amazing when they're injured. Amrabat has now gone from being a pretty good defensive midfielder who worked pretty well um, in Morocco's World Cup to being the be-all, end-all and the person who our entire, our entire Champions League top four chase revolves around. He has to absolutely get through the door. It's a little concerning, and I can see a lot of United fans going, "Why on earth did United spend fifty-five million on Mason Mount when Amrabat seemingly was available from June onwards, and only needs a fraction of that fifty-five million to get through the door?" Andy, in terms of today, obviously um, United are hoping to get this deal done, but they're not key pieces of transfer business by any means the key pieces of business were done over the summer in fact I was interviewed for MUTV a few weeks ago and was praising the way that Manchester United had got the, themselves in order with doing the deals early and getting players on the tour even but it's not a great look is it to be even doing peripheral deals this late and this many of them as well well part of the reason that for the peripheral deals is because the injuries would have been picked up since the season started so yes got to be fair to, to United there the left back situation yeah I think United were praised for getting business done early. I think it the club is put into a difficult position because agents link their clients with Manchester United and fans then get frustrated when those players don't sign. But with a lot of them, there's no truth to it whatsoever. And the club do not want to give a running commentary of who they're linked to or not because that weakens their position in the transfer market. So United spent good money on the three players who came in. A lot of money on Rasmus Hoyland. Let's hopefully he'll be as good as the manager expects him to be. Mason Mount and Andre Onana. So those three signings, I think, were greeted pretty optimistically. The problem that United have got is a financial one, which Carl alluded to. If you want to go really deep, it's because of the Glazers. And Manchester United need investment, need capital. 
So yes, there are financial fair play restrictions, but the owners are also allowed to put some of their own money in as well. Ninety million pounds, I think the allowance is, isn't it? Um, it can be supplemented by correct by what the owners put in, and clearly the Glazer family have to this point put put nothing in. So that, that's why there is that that discrepancy, which other clubs can can use to get around it. Yeah, and and they remain a problem, and this adds to the frustration among fans because. It's November when the Glazers announced a strategic review. We're now in the following September and we don't have any more clarity as to what is happening. So the people at the club are working within those restrictions, which is not easy for them. And they're up against uh, clubs who have got the financial muscle, which Manchester United used to have in the market. That is no, no longer the case. And United, because they're not the preeminent force in English football now, aren't quite as attractive as the team were 20 years ago. Players aren't thinking, right, if I go there, I've got a 70% chance of winning the league no. because Manchester United are not the favourites anymore. So if I'm going to blame anyone, it's going to be going to be the, the, the Glazers for this. I think it's way too early to judge any of the players who've come. And I think there's a lot of deflation around at the moment because of the pretty underwhelming start to the season. The, the Greenwood issue, which we discussed as well, the the Glazers still being around, the the early injuries and performances as well, and the performances. Even though United have won two of the three matches, the Wolves game was alarming. We said that straight afterwards. Yeah, uh, the first half at Spurs was good, didn't take the chances, and we've got the prospects of Arsenal away at the weekend, where United have not not got a decent record in recent years. So excuse us for sounding a little bit circumspect. <laughs> That's quite a good word for this podcast, actually, circumspect. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that game at Arsenal a little bit later on. Let, let's just round off what we know about the transfer deals then for the moment. So uh, Dean Henderson has left Manchester United. He signed for Crystal Palace for £15 million plus £5 million in add-ons. Uh, Tengen Mengi has gone to Luton as well for what's been described as an undisclosed fee. Johnny Evans is signing, like we said before, which is obviously a backup option for Manchester United in defence. Uh, Regulon is the is the name that we've turned to at left back, Carl. Um, Mark Kukurea obviously was the other option. We talked about it on the last podcast. It's been reported that well, financial reasons were involved in this decision, and also the fact that that Kukurea had played in the League Cup as well uh, for Chelsea the other night, which means that if United wanted to send him back in January, like they've got the option in Regulon's um, deal to have a break clause in January, he wouldn't then be able to leave Chelsea, go and play for someone else, because you can't play for three teams in one season under football's rules. So make sense of all of this for us, Carl, please. Yeah, so I, I spent a good chunk of the midweek watching Kukurea games, both for Brighton and time for well spent. <laughs> Chelsea to see... You know, to see what made him good for Brighton and what made him less effective for Chelsea. Uh, Pythagoras on Boots is a really good YouTuber. He's done something similar. He's done a beautiful 12-minute video. And, in, you know, Cucurella's in the United kit and he's explaining how it's all worked. And I messaged him going... I'm picturing your partner again, Carl, walking into the room. What are you doing? I'm just watching uh, Cucurella playing for Brighton uh, two years ago. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. right, okay. I'll go and make watch, a break. Watch the 4-0 victory Brighton had over Manchester United as she walked on. Again, you hated this game. <laughs> So there's the tactical look at Kukurea, which I've got in my head and maybe those words will see the light of day one day. But the idea that this still hasn't gone through because he's been cup-tied for one game, 
it just shows how frantic the final days of the transfer market can be. Not just for United, but for loads of clubs. You know, yeah. loads of clubs have, have gone into that League Cup and, and thought, oh, maybe our fringe player, our third choice centre back or our fourth choice winger isn't actually of the quality and we need to get more in. I, th- I think Tottenham Hotspur had a similar situation after they've been eliminated but to Fulham. You know, Spurs fans and I go, we, we probably need an extra player here or two. Um, the thing with it, it does show that this is just a six-month thing as well, doesn't it? I, I yeah. think that was the, the reasoning I took from the, the Kukurea thing about playing in the League Cup was that United basically don't need this left-back beyond January. They, they obviously think that by that point, obviously Malassia and Shaw will be back to fitness and there's no need for anyone to, to stay longer term. Yeah, I think that that's very much the intention from Ten Hag. I also think the... Late swerve from Kukurea. I, I, I believe Ornstein reported a, a loan fee of maybe two million. That is just not going to be there for Regulon. Regulon seems to be just a, a clean loan fee. Yeah, he said he said there's no loan fee. Yeah, so there's no money there. So that's an extra two million you can put towards getting Amrabat through the door as well. Yeah, Manchester United in a really difficult situation. This fifteen million plus five for Dean Henderson is going to have to stretch your left back and possibly Amrabat. Um, so, and the goalie, and, and the goalie as well. As well. Yes, I forgot. Yeah. I forgot. So you've got you know the D Henderson money is being used to try and get three players in, and you know, the Johnny Evans situation is probably being aided by the fact that United don't have to spend two million on Kukurea, which sounds preposterous. That two million, you know, could be the dividing mark, but that's what happens when when you've got FFP considerations. Yeah, that's what happens when you're under this much pressure at the end of the transfer window as well, I guess, to get stuff done. Uh, final point on transfers before we let Laurie have a little guest slot. He's beavering away uh, with all the latest as well. Um, Andy, departures-wise, are you expecting anything anything more to happen today? I know that Manchester United hope that stars align and that some players do depart and that they leave the wage bill or maybe even get a fee for them. Can I say with absolute certainty now that I know that that's going to happen? No, I can't. We all know that as the timer ticks down towards the end of the transfer window, clubs act, clubs sense desperation. They think it's a good time to negotiate. They think, ah, he's still available. And there is also the issue that while the transfer window closes um, on Friday, if you're an unattached player, there is some movement. And while most transfer windows do close on Friday, not all of them do. Mm. So there could still be some movement after the after after today. But the Saudi Arabian transfer window closes on the seventh, and I believe the Turkish one closes on the fifteenth. Okay. I mean, they're both realistic destinations for 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 Manchester United fringe players. Mm. And we've seen this repeatedly. They can pay the wages. Now, Turkey has long been somewhere where Manchester United players have, have gone to. It's actually quite nice to welcome a first ever Turkish player to Manchester United. And his pedigree is very good. You know, he's been playing for Fenerbahce, or a good club. A bit surprised. Do you want to come in as a number two when you've been number one, when you're the Turkish international goalkeeper? But well, that's a really nice problem for the manager to have. Yeah, it certainly is. We've not even had much chance to talk about Bayern Deer. Maybe we'll do that on a future podcast. There's just so much to get in today. Um, right, before we talk about the Champions League draw then, here is Laurie's update. So we're recording this, like we said before, Friday morning. By the time that this is edited and put together, this is the very latest on Manchester United's deadline deals, as Laurie Whitwell knows it. Take it away, Laurie. 
Thanks, Ian. Yes, I am outside Manchester United's training ground, Carrington, waiting to be let into Eric Ten Hag's press conference. So it's just coming up to half past 12. And as Andy touched on, Sofian Amrabat is the big one that United wants to get over the line. That's the thing that's still uncertain at the moment. The information that we have now from David Ornstein is that Matt Hargreaves, United's uh, chief football negotiator, has flown to Florence to have direct talks with Fiorentina over Amrabat. And as Andy touched on, yeah, there's definitely issues on both sides in terms of how much uh, either club feels Amrabat is worth. United made that loan bid of sort of two million for the season with, with only a million going in straight away earlier in the week that was rejected. I think Fiorentina would see that as a derisory bid. There's Difficulties on both sides in terms of how to reach an agreement on this. I think United ideally would like to get a loan and potentially it comes with an obligation depending on how many games he plays. Fiorentina would, would much rather a guarantee of finance for a player that you know did very well at the World Cup with Morocco. But yeah, Eric Ten Hag realises that he needs midfield support for Casemiro and that's why Amrabat is the one being pursued today as deadline approaches. It's always this way with United, isn't it? Deadline day, there's always something going on. So yeah, that's one to watch. Scott McTominay, on the other hand, he is saying at Manchester United, that's the information that we have. There was some interest certainly from Bayern Munich, from Fulham. Uh, David Ornstein reported that there was interest also from Inter Milan. So yeah, really interesting times. Clearly West Ham also made a bid for McTominay that was rejected and not sure the player himself wanted to go there either. So the information that we have is that uh, McTominay will stay. And that's the same situation for Facundo Pellistri. I know there's a lot of anticipation around what would happen with him. Several clubs got in touch regarding a loan move, but Ten Hag had talks with Palistri and he will stay as an option on the right wing for United. And the final one, I suppose, is, is Sergio Regulon. I know you guys spoke about him. We're expecting that one to get finalised today. United looked at a lot of different left-back options as emergency solutions to Luke Shaw's injury. They had talks with Chelsea over Mark Kukurea, uh, but from what I'm told, uh, Chelsea wanted a £7 million loan fee for the season and United really only ever wanted to get a short-term deal in um, you know, with a potential for a break clause midway through the season, which is what they've got with Regulon. Spurs haven't asked for a, a loan fee for him because they were trying to sell him. His wages are quite significant. United are covering them, but I think overall the cost is, is much less than what Kukurea would have been. Marcus Alonso was another one that United looked at from Barcelona, but again, his wages were higher than what United United wanted to pay that one couldn't get done in terms of outgoings Donny van der Beek looks the most likely Galatasaray had made a loan bid of about a million pounds for him that United rejected but I expect more talks to take place on that and then Hannibal has had interest from Sevilla and Everton he could go uh, on loan but equally could stay and United would have him as a valuable member of the team so yeah lots going on as ever with United on deadline day This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
Okay, Manchester United are back in the Champions League. That's the good news. Uh, and the kind of good news is that they've got Bayern Munich, FC Copenhagen and Galatasaray in their group, as we saw in the draw on Thursday. It stirred so many different memories, these clubs, for me, Andy, and for you even more so, I'm guessing, because you've got far more experience of going to these places and seeing United face these teams. Um, what do you think of the draw? Nice not to get a Spanish club because the Amen last four <laughs> away, away games have, have all been in Spain. They keep knocking us out as well. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Much as I love Spain and Spanish cities, I was ready for, for a change. So let's look at it in, in, in different ways. In terms of destinations, Copenhagen's beautiful, Munich's beautiful, Istanbul's beautiful. I think it's a group which Manchester United should finish in the top two from. I think Bayern Munich's will be favourites there. But I'll put a caveat there. Which Manchester United are we going to see? Because form, as we've just discussed, has been doubtful. Both the um, Galatasaray and FC Copenhagen, they've already played six games to get to this point. And while they've qualified, uh, including Galatasaray beat Mulder very narrowly, and that would have been not only a... Uh, a game against um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's former club, but a first ever game against a Norwegian club. United have never played a Norwegian team, which is bizarre. Mm. Have they not? Never in history in a competitive match. That's not happened. Yeah. I took from it, the atmosphere in those places will be incredible. Galatasaray famously so, welcome to hell and all that. Big respect between Manchester United and Bayern Munich, which I think strengthened every year. The way that Bayern Munich and their officials work around the anniversary of the Munich air disaster is incredible. And FC Copenhagen. I was at the game in Cologne when the two teams met in 2020. I met the only FC Copenhagen fan who travelled to that. <laughs> their fans have got a real influence at their club. Their ultras are really influential there. And they're the best supported team in Denmark. United will be favourites, but as we saw in 2020, it took until extra time and a Bruno Fernandes penalty. And when Manchester United played their last time, I think it was 06, FC Copenhagen won. So United have not won in any of the three stadiums that the team are about to, to play in. Yeah, fascinating. So I'm, I'm slightly apprehensive because we have got to go back until 2019 since Manchester United put a really good convincing performance in away from home in a Champions League knockout. Well, we've got to get to the knockout stages first. <laughs> but remember that Red Bull game? I spoke about it on this podcast for about a year afterwards. I'm still stung by it even now. 3-2. So, <laughs> yeah. United have got, have got to be on it. And he's got his hands on his head at this point, listeners, just to, just to give you an insight into how he's feeling. He only does this when he's in real storytelling mode. Sure. You'll learn this at the live show. <laughs> I was really encouraged by the way United played against Barcelona only six months ago. United beat Betis, had some good results in the Europa League last season. But there's that switch. We saw it in Seville and that cannot go off again in the Champions League because you're playing against uh, better, better opponents. I saw Bayern Munich last year take Barcelona apart twice. That's why Barcelona didn't leave that group with Inter Milan and ended up playing Manchester United. 
Everything being equal, Manchester United should be going toe-to-toe with Bayern Munich. The reality is they will be favourites in both of those games. Yeah, there's some interesting narratives already. I like that word. Um, <laughs> Harry Kane, you know, Manchester United team, what maybe they missed out on with him. Uh, Wilfried Zaha playing for Galatasaray will be fascinating, although he's not played much for them so far, but obviously a former Manchester United player. Rasmus Hoyland going up against his old side in FC Copenhagen and definitely nearer the time of our games against them will get more of a, an insight into exactly why he left there only 18 months ago as a sub who'd only started two matches in the entire first half of the season and then ends up at Manchester United for 70, 80 million quid just 18 months later, like I say. Carl, do, do you even remember that? Bruno Fernandes, 95th minute extra time, penalty 1-0 win over Copenhagen in the Europa League in 2020. I have no recollection of that game whatsoever. There's so much closed-door football that now. just It's just a big blur in, in my head now. So well-remembered by Andy. One stat that did stick out to me was Bayern Munich haven't lost a Champions League group stage match in six years. Something absurd. Wow. Like they're, they're, they're phenomenal in the group stages. They're absolute juggernaut. But as Andy said... I do hold fondly that the Europa League tie against Barcelona and in my head, everyone fit. Manchester United can go toe-to-toe with some of the best teams in Europe. So this is why you want to play Champions League. This is why you you want to play teams like Bayern Munich. I did yell at Eric Abidal when he said Group A. I yelled at Eric Abidal when I went to his house a couple of years ago to interview him and he tried (laughs) to tell me that we went easy playing against Manchester United in the semi-final in oh, 2008. Oh, give over. And I'm like, stop talking absolute nonsense. And he's like laughing at me going, yeah, but when Messi was coming back, I'm like, give over. Poor Scholes absolutely put a screamer past you. Just take it on the chin. You won <laughs> a year later in Rome, but you got smashed. Just accept it. The interview just about survived it. He's uh, You didn't get chucked out of the house then? Didn't, didn't get chucked out, no. He's an in, in, interesting fella. In better health now as well. He, he had horrendous problems, didn't he? Yes. Um, when he was playing. Um, right. League Cup then. You mentioned before, Andy, that Manchester United had another home draw. Well, obviously you guys can get in touch with us whenever you want on our email account, devilspod at theathletic.com. And Stan quite brilliantly has. So this is from Stan Ashcroft. I hope Andy has once again sourced the odds of the 11 consecutive home games, as his tweet pointed out. I reckon Laurie would have fancied those odds in Las Vegas. However, another piece of madness regarding our EFL third round draws in the past few years, which I don't think anyone has picked up on, is that we always draw opponents we have played against in the Premier League in either the following or preceding weekend of that League Cup fixture, as shown in the following. So the third round in 2020, they played Brighton on the 30th of September, having played Brighton in the league on the 26th of September. In 2021, they played West Ham on the 19th of September and then would then play them in the Premier League on the 22nd of September. In 2022, they played Aston Villa on the 10th of November, having played them on the 6th of November in the league. And this season against Crystal Palace... The League Cup tie is the 25th of September and they'll face them in the Premier League on the 30th of September. I thought this was very odd, but quite interesting. Get the maths genius to work out those odds. I'm sure they'd be pretty big. Looking forward to Monday's show. Keep up the good work as always. Cheers, Stan Ashcroft. Andy, wow. That's fantastic. (laughs) That's absolutely brilliant. I loved listening to that and learning (laughs) from a listener. So thanks for that, Stan. And, And 
it, it, it's so interesting looking at it at, at many different ways. As I said, I've got rival mathematicians arguing over the odds, <laughs> but whichever way you look at it, 11 consecutive home draws. I mean, how long is this going to go on for? Hopefully not much longer for everyone's bank accounts, like I was saying <laughs> earlier on in the podcast. I mean, I mean the- to get Crystal Palace as well. Yeah, they're just not even interesting cup ties, are they? These either. That's the other Over thing. Over an away game somewhere where at Salford or something played. like that, somewhere yeah. with a decent allocation. <laughs> Can't we just have like Sheffield Wednesday away or a bit something of to get excited about? <laughs> it's just every single game is at Old Trafford. I pity the people who have to do the Manchester United official program because. They've got a lot on anyway, and it's just game after game. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> but I, I don't know why it, it, it happens. Michael Crick, who's, who's an excellent journalist and has written some great books on, on Manchester United over the years, he, he worked out that it must have happened like 30 times in history statistically because there's been eight or 900,000 cup draws going back in, back in time. But I think... Only Shrewsbury Town have had 11 consecutive home draws in, in history. So if United are drawn at home in the next uh, cup draw... If they get through. If mm. they get through, or in the FA Cup. Or the which, FA Cup, sorry. Yeah, well, yeah. Th- that'll be Derby or Reading at home. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Then Manchester United move into, you know, 12 and we're away. It's just bizarre, isn't it? It's really bizarre. Pa- Palace as well, Carl. I said it wasn't interesting, but it will be for Dean Henderson. I mean, that could well be his Crystal Palace debut at Old Trafford. That would be an interesting occasion for him. He's looking forward to that one because, you know, if you remember his interview when he was online at Nottingham Forest where he said, oh, I wish you could play against United, but blah, 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 blah. Yep. I'm happy for Dean Henderson. He's a talented goalkeeper that just had an atrocious run of luck for the last two years. And if he can get a good run of fitness and can, you know, put together a couple of games in a row, I'm pretty sure put together a decent body of work and hopefully push on for the for the England squad for the Euros. He's a very confident, very gobby, in theory, very good goalkeeper. And it's a shame it didn't quite work out at Manchester United. Can I just add that Crystal Palace's current number one goalkeeper, who's a very different personality to Dean Henderson, also used to play for Manchester United. Sam Johnson is a Lancashire lad from Preston. So Dean's from Carlisle, so they're not even from that far apart. I don't think Sam's giving up his number one jersey readily. No. So that that will be interesting to see who gets the number one, as it will be at Old Trafford. I mean, I fully expect it to be Andrea Nana, but got serious competition here now, in theory. Yeah, and that can only be good for the whole squad, I'm sure. I can confirm that Mark Gerardo has left Manchester United as well to join Espanyol on a permanent deal that's just been shared by the club in the last couple of minutes. Let's move it on to Arsenal. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So, Sunday, the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal against a Manchester United team 
who haven't beaten any of the top nine clubs away from home under Eric Ten Hag, who have actually, I think, lost to all of the top nine clubs from last season now away from home, courtesy of that defeat against Tottenham. Uh, they've had one win in the last nine years at the Emirates Stadium as well, uh, including six defeats from the eight games that they've played during that time. Karl Anker, what hope do you give Manchester United of ending this nonsense this weekend? Hoyland's going to play and uh, I mean what happened the last time we gave someone their debut against Arsenal just before the international break Anthony scored oh he did sure <laughs> in a win in a win that is my hope at home though that's fine it's fine look I know the away record and I know the, the Arsenal record and I also know that Eric Ten Hag I don't know what they put in the tap water in London but Eric Ten Hag doesn't appear to like it either so yeah, the, the number crunches are making Arsenal the favourites. I think United only have like a 25% chance of a win according to Opta Supercomputer. Yeah, it's a sort of 40, 45, 40 something percent for Arsenal, 20 something for a draw, okay, another right. 20 something for. I forgot about the fact that the draw should have a certain proportion of the yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so the supercomputers, and I still don't know what make these computers super, <laughs> say that United, say United win is, is the least likely scenario here. But Eric Ten Hag's no slouch. And Arsenal haven't been convincing in their, you know, they've got seven points in the opening three games, but they haven't been convincing at the moment. No. Um, I think that injury to Yuri and Timber really caused Arteta to have to, to redo his plans because it looks like Timber might not even return by the end of the season. Gabriel is in a really odd position in that he's clearly one of their better centre-backs, but isn't playing in the starting lineup at the moment. And they've got this system now with Thomas Partey, who's playing at right back and then trying to push in and whatnot. And it's, Maybe working, maybe not. I can talk to you for ages about whether or not Kai Havertz is good or not. Arsenal are in an odd place. Manchester United are also in an odd place. This is what makes these games kind of fun. It's Arsenal, it's United. I'm a child of the 90s, so this game means a lot to me. Yeah, it means everything to all of us. I think there is something about Manchester United against Arsenal which no other fixture brings because it's not about local rivalries or you know, the two sort of traditionally biggest clubs in England going head to head. There's a there's a real sort of animosity and, and ferocity to the rivalry, or there certainly has been in past years. Andy, how are you feeling about it? Nervous. I'll be there on Sunday. Hands Sunday. are going on the head and again. I, no, I'm <laughs> nervous. I am because... So he's got hands on the head when he's telling you a big story and then he, he sort of clasps his hands together when he's... <laughs> when, he's like, it's like, when it's a happier story, he does this, where he clasps his hands together. <laughs> so last time United won at Arsenal in the league was December 17th. If you remember, the team wore black that day. Yeah. Really impressive. This was peak Mourinho. Mm -hmm. This was people thinking Man United are back and the following month Mourinho signed a new contract and the Manchester United world was a happy place. United have not won there in the league since. There was a famous FA Cup game January 2019. This was peak Solskjaer. Mm -hmm. This was, wow, we're going to Arsenal. We're beating Arsenal, beating him well. Another 3-1 win. And since then, absolutely nothing. 2019 March, Arsenal 2-0. January the 1st, arguably the worst Manchester United performance ever. 2-0 to Arsenal. I'm exaggerating, but it was an absolute stinking performance that day. That was Ollie's first loss in the league, I think. Yeah. 2020. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, it was a stinker. <sighs> Jeez, I'm just looking at it now. There have been some horrendous results. Oh, there has, there has. It was the 3-1 when Ronaldo actually played well in the first half, but 
United lost 3-1. That was in April 2022. I walked away from the ground that day. I had to go and watch another game of football to get my head away from it. I went to watch Haringey Borough, believe it or not. <laughs> As you do. And then it was earlier on this year. That was a huge game because United had been on a really good run, but lost Casimiro the week before, mm. lost the game 3-2. Actually played played well that day against Arsenal, but Arsenal, Arsenal are much better. I thought Arsenal were excellent at Old Trafford last season, even though uh, they lost. But come on, Manchester United, surprise us. <laughs> lead us, lead us into the the live show next week with something to smile about because we've been at Arsenal away the day before <laughs> and had a result. I, I take a draw now, but you, you're right to mention United's form in London. I know that. The, there was a win at Wembley against Newcastle and Wembley is obviously in London against Brighton on penalties. But United have not won a game in London since before the World Cup, that, that win at Fulham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really poor. I don't know why this is happening. Yeah, you can say that win is also that's a last-minute winner from Garnacho, 90, yeah. 93rd minute, basically. Um, I'm just thinking about all those Arsenal games you said. So the 3-1, the last victory at the Emirates Stadium is the 3-1 in Black Kids. Yeah. That's the game where da- David De Gea basically becomes a goalkeeping demigod. Yeah, Just yeah. Absurd performance in that game. Was it Je- Jesse Lingard infuriating yep. the Arsenal fans that's with his, right. his goal oh, celebrations as well? That's when he Millie rocked. Isn't that Getting back one? for that. Yeah, Pogba gets Did he not get sent off. Pogba he in that gets game. injured or he gets sent off. It might have been both. But I remember that game also being like the moment where Pogba's that season on with Pogba just falls apart. And the next return, when Oli comes in, that's when he's just interim Oli, the 2 0 against Emery. It's just a long-range shot that De Gea can't get a hand to from Xhaka. Oli couldn't beat Emery in the league. The 3-1 in the FA Cup, that was pretty much the only good game Alexis Sanchez and Lukaku had playing together. That was in another black kit as well. But you're right. I think what's also interesting is, I mean, historically, when Manchester United rock up at the Emirates and win, it's when United bully Arsenal. It's when they beat them up. It's 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 Mourinho time. It's it's getting your big lads in. It's it's absolutely dominating your set pieces. And I keep looking at this Manchester United team and they're getting gradually shorter since 2018 when Mourinho had basically an entire team full of six-footers. And also, you know, this Arsenal team has been getting gradually taller as well. There's a really great TIFO video in how Arteta's prioritising height on a lot of his key positions. So, United know how to beat Arsenal. You've got to, you know, counter attack, maximise your set pieces, and absolutely be demons uh, with your referees as well. Whether or not they can do it this time, hmm. Saka up against a left back is making me a little bit concerned. Yeah, although Marcus Rashford up against an inverted right back who's really a midfielder also gives me cause for optimism maybe on that left-hand side um, and the <laughs> runs in behind that, that he can produce from that side. I just look back at that game from 2017, just quickly. Pogba was sent off, um, Manchester United won 3-1 and it was 33 shots at goal from Arsenal that day. Um, uh. I'm not going to say that David De Gea made 32 saves because I think some of them were off target. Uh, but that shows you how sort of counter-attacking that match was for United. And actually, Andy, that brings me on to a point. In pre-season, Ten Hag has, has explained to us, we've questioned it, we questioned it on the last podcast, exactly what the style is for United now, exactly which way they want to play. But could actually, coming up against the better teams, show the true Manchester United? I am really trying to be positive ahead of this weekend. I admire your positivity. I hope you're right. I'm willing to be surprised by Manchester United turning up and 
and doing well against a, a, a top team. I think let's compare it to Tottenham a few weeks ago. I think United actually got the tactics right in the first half. They created did, yeah. chances. Yeah, and did. I think United will be positive. What is there to lose? Because if United are not positive against Arsenal, you're going to get um, defeated again. And it needs a bigger performance from them big-name players who haven't really turned up so far this season. You know, do it at Arsenal. You know, because th- there's there's a little bit of despondency around at the moment for the reasons that we've, we, we've, we've spoken about. And Arsenal were fantastic last season. It's going to be tough. The April 22 game. It that was. That's when I met Garnacho's mum in the stand at half time. <laughs> You're going again, love. I'll see you on Sunday. I'll have United where he stands there. Make sure you have the correct change. You've not seen a since. I've not seen a since, but it was lovely. So my, 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 my son plays for this team. And I went, which one? She went, the, them, as in Manchester United. Yeah. I suspect she won't be in the United end at, <laughs> on, on Sunday. You never know. You never know. And it might be a day for Garnacho to shine once again as well. Come on. And provide United with a, a long-awaited follow-up win to that win at Fulham, uh, like we spoke about a moment ago. Right. Just a reminder then, the live shows are sold out in Dublin, Belfast and London, but you can still get tickets for Manchester. Go to myticket.co.uk. The show is on Monday. We're so excited to do these shows now. They've been a long time coming and they are finally here. Uh, remember, go to The Athletic as well for all the latest on deadline day for Manchester United and elsewhere. If you're not a subscriber, you can sign up now for our limited time offer of £1 or $1 a month for the first 12 months. Just head to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. We'll be back next week, but it'll be slightly later in the week once we've um, got the live shows on Monday and Tuesday out of the way. So maybe expect that midweek. And obviously we'll react to whatever happens at Arsenal. We might be able to tell you a few tales from our little mini tour uh, of Manchester and London as well. So we'll let you know when you can expect that. But for the minute, Carl, thank you very much for being with us. Andy, thank you as well. And thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.